This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Yes, we will open the floor now to any questions or comments that anybody would like to make. Anybody here? Just take the mic. Just uh, turn it on. Anybody on Zoom? Yeah, go ahead. How does one put meaning and happiness into things that are very hard for them physically and emotionally? Instead of just having the motto of, we just need to get through this and then things will be good. A lot of the challenges that we experience in life, you might say that the purpose of the challenge is to get through it. I'm I'm a little claustrophobic. I remember I went for a, I don't know if it's a CAT scan or MRI, I don't know the difference, but I remember being like in this enclosure. What's it called? You know that machine, right? And they like pushed me in and there's the banging and the clinking. And I remember thinking to myself, like, just get through this, just get through this, right? And they, they're telling you, like, it's another minute, another minute. So I think that a lot of our, our mindset is that concept. You know, it's yantif, and we're like, oh, it's so hectic, eh? let's just get through it. Or something's challenging, and it's like, I just want to get to the end of this tunnel to find the light at the end of the tunnel. The reality is the reason, and I'm not here to, I'm not a, I'm not a prophet, not yet, but I think the reason why we experience so many of these challenges is much more for the journey than than to get out of it. Think about the MRI or the CAT scan. You're not in the machine to get out of the machine. You're in the machine because the machine is doing something at this moment that is crucial to your health. It's giving the doctor an image that they wouldn't have otherwise. When we go through something, if the whole mindset is just keep your head down and just get through it, you might get through it. It's true. But if you allow yourself to to understand that you're being pressured now or you're being tested now, to see how close your relationship with Hashem is at this moment, then you are actually utilizing your time totally differently than a person who just keeps their head down. So if a person needs to do that, then by all means, they should. But if a person is able to have the awareness that right now, in this darkness, it's it's going to push me to a certain limit to call out to Hashem more. Look in the words of Tehillim. By the get in English, Tehillim, especially the ones that have like those paragraph introductions. David Amelech's entire life, literally from the minute he was born till he died, was Yisurim. Every minute. And in the depths of everything, everything that he talks about was the concept of connect, connecting to Hashem. Everything. All those Shlomo Kabach songs that you know, is all Tehillim. It's all David Amelech. A man who literally went through the worst of the worst, rejection, and, and assassination attempts and his own child rebelling against him and thrown out of his palace. And they thought he was a mamzer when he was born. I mean, everything from, from the day he was born till he died, he did not almost have a single minute that was not faced with real challenges. But he understood in those moments, and just read those words, like, you know, Kaylee came, Kaylee Lama Zafani, which is Tehillim, but a lot of these things came down from, from the generations before. Right? David HaMelech was repeating words, for example, that Esra HaMelech had said. And Moshe Rabbeinu, so many words which were the words of Chazal, the words of not just the Anshei but going all the way back to, to, to the people, the biblical figures, the words that they said. David HaMelech captured those words in the depths of everything, and he, he committed that to Tehillim. So how do you get through it? Yeah, you could keep your head down. Or you can take one capital, something that you connect with, a word, a phrase, and repeat it over to yourself and, and, and be mechazek yourself. Hashem turns to Avram Avinu and he says, you know, 
right? And then the, the, literally the next thing is Vayash came Avram Babaiker. He jumped up early in the morning. The Ratzon Hashem? I get to do the Ratzon Hashem? Once it became clear to him that he shechting Yitzchak. First he was like, really? And we think it was like a game. Like, wait, which son? I have two sons. Your only son. Oh, they're both only from the mother. We think it was like a game to try to get Hashem to tell him that it was going to be Yishmael. He, he literally felt love for both of his children. I was like, no, 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 you're taking Yitzchak. He, the Ratzon Hashem, I get to do the Ratzon Hashem. I'll say something that I wasn't going to mention, but even the concept of divorce, Rechaim Kanievsky talks about it, right? Concept of divorce, not a pleasant thing. The concept of divorce, a person doing the Ratzon Hashem, assuming, and he talks about this, assuming it's for the right reasons. When it's not for the right reasons, the Mizbeach cries. When it is for the right reasons, should be done b'simcha. This is not a good shidduch. This is not a good relationship. We do a b'simcha. We're doing the Ratzon Hashem. Person's breaking a shidduch. It's very, it's not easy. We're doing the Ratzon Hashem. It's not easy. There's a lot of tears, a lot of emotion. You're doing the right thing. Doing the Ratzon Hashem. Put on a smile. Say mazel tov. L'chaim. Not, oh, good. I got out of this, right? That mashugana, I'm going to go, you know, go on uh, one of these websites and just, you know, type up about them or ruin their life. That's not the simcha. The simcha is there's a time for this. There's a time for that. There's a time for, for, for dancing. There's a time for burying people. They're both baruch. They're both echad. They're both echad, right? We both, they're both one. They're both in the same makar. So I understand totally when people say like, yeah, this is so hard. Just call me when it's over. But it doesn't work that way. Oftentimes, it's the transformation that could take place if you put your head to it. Once that happens, a lot of times it opens up the next chapter of your life. The person just wants to just wait for this to be over. So then you're totally missing the, the, missing the, the point of this. It's like going into the MRI machine, just not plugging it in because you're just like so nervous that you're in a confined space. Like, plug it in. Hop what's going on. Doesn't mean you have to open your eyes. You can keep your eyes closed. But just understand that there's so much more going on at this time. What if you try hard to work on your needles, but your husband doesn't at all, and you feel that a lot of the problems that you have are from the way he acts? For example, you would have better parnasa, better. I caution anybody from blaming their spouse for anything. Um, the end of the day is we are all responsible for ourselves. We are responsible for our houses, and I think that most people because our ego has gotten in the way of the way that we live our lives, we are not interested in being wrong. We're not interested in being faulted. So our default is that we just turn to the nearest person to us and we say, it's their fault. If they would be happy, we would have whatever, right? If they would, you know, do their thing, our child would be better. A person doesn't realize the extent to which you can accomplish in your life. You know, we look at people who are great at anything. It could be sports. It could be photography. It could be learning. It could be anything. And we're like blown away by them. Why? Because the human spirit, the ability for a person to like channel all their energies into something and then create something that's quote unquote superhuman or it's unbelievable. We're blown away by that. People are usually very impressed by that, right? They win awards and Guinness Book of World Records and all these things. Yeah, we're, we're very impressed by that. So then why not you? 
Meaning, why are we always giving reasons? The reason is because my spouse does. Okay, but what about you? What about you? I see this in relationships all the time. I mentioned this here. I'll say it again. Like, when I sit with a couple, the first session, they could tell me all the negative stuff about their spouse. And then and then we draw a line. Mikan Ulaba, from now on, cannot mention your spouse's name. Don't talk to me about them. And the couples that hop that, they see such a drastic change. They do not mention their spouse. They walk into the session. Hi, what do I need to work on this week? This is what I did. This is what I didn't do. Keep me accountable. How should I do something different? Or they did this. How should I react? How should I feel? It's about me. Me. The people that come in and they just keep garbaging out on their husband or their wife. And they, everything is just, and, and then he did this. And then I couldn't. Do, it, it just becomes like a nonstop. Those people, they don't see change. They're just on this hamster wheel of just constantly saying reasons and excuses why something is not working. If you take responsibility for your own action or reaction, your own place within your life, channel into your marriage, into your family, whatever you want to channel in. Stop waiting for your spouse to do it. So many people say like, well, I oh, I wish my husband would this. I know you're, a lot of people here are not married yet. Like I'm telling you, take these words to heart. All the things that you want, do it. One of the best books I ever read, and I don't know which one it is. It's one of Rabbi Abraham J. Tversky's books. Amazing book on, on marriage. Like It was like an Ask the Rabbi kind of thing. There was maybe 50 questions in the book about their spouse. It really bothers me that my spouse goes to sleep and he doesn't close all the lights. What should I do? He writes, go downstairs and close the light. <laughs> okay? it, it really bothers me that my husband doesn't whatever learn with my son. What should I do? He says, hire somebody to learn with your son. It really bothers me. It was such an awesome, the same message over and over and over and over. Stop blaming your spouse. Stop telling your spouse what they have to do. Because I guarantee you that they have a long list about you also. I guarantee it. And if they're smart, they're not telling it to you. But we live our lives looking at everyone else, what they have to do. Let's focus on what we have to do. Meaning to say a person can very, very easily take any midah and infuse it into their family. They can take any amount of emuna, Yiddishkeit, anything. We have the ability to channel and bring things into our homes. And it's it, yes, it would be easier if you had somebody on board with you, 100%. Yes, it'd be easier if the marriage was stronger. Yes. Yes, it'd be easier if he wasn't angry or upset. Yes, 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 yes. Those are all true. But don't misunderstand that you are such an integral piece. And if your whole life is about sheltering yourself and putting up those walls that it's your survival, you're surviving, you're in survival mode, then chances are you're going to miss all opportunities of bringing something into your house. The couples that come to me and they just want to talk, I always say like, there's certain, there's certain therapists, they're great at it. They're, they're so empathetic. Like, oh, wow. Oh, that must be so hard for you. And that is, that's so necessary. It's so necessary. I just saw this, this guy who was an EMT. Um, he was talking to an old, an older woman, probably a nine-year-old woman who was, she just lost her twin. And she was like saying how she's going through so much right now and her heart is palpating, you know, and, and this guy's sitting there, he's like, wow. And he was giving her so much empathy. I was like, this guy deserves some medal. He's like, wow, that must be so challenging. He's going on and on. Meanwhile, the other EMTs are like, she needs a hospital, like right now. But he was like so empathetic. Like, wow, you really do have a lot going on for you. Like, uh, she's not breathing well. <laughs> like, like she needs she needs help Like now. Like, we need to get her help now, okay? There's a lot of people that are great. 
the listeners and they're very empathetic. And I think that's that's important. I'm not minimizing that at all. I don't, it's important. But if you want to see change, you have to put in the work to change. And if the whole work becomes about how I can blame somebody else, you're not going to see any change. Wow. What are some practical steps to working on living in the moment in a quality way, quality way for the tasks and things that are hard for you? I think that if I understand the question correctly, I think that probably one of the biggest challenges of today's generation, and I'm not 100 years old, although as I keep getting older, yesterday was my birthday, by the way. Yeah, yeah it's okay. Happy birthday. Um, I just feel older and older and older. Um, maybe it's like uh, that. Um, so I can't speak for, you know, what was a thousand years ago, but I, I would I would argue that in relationships, for sure, and I think that, Judaism, Yiddishkeit is is a relationship. Probably the number one, if not number one, then number two reason why things struggle is because of distraction. Straight out. I think that that's the number one reason. It's not because people have mental health disorders and it's not because it's, it's, it's not because it's a disposable generation. Those are all maybe true and those are all maybe number 10, 20, and 50 on the list. The reality, in my opinion, is that a relationship is about being dialed in. It's about being in tune to what's going on. So most of most people, they we live with so much distraction in our lives. We live with, again, it could be work, which is a distraction. It could be other things which just take our mind out of whatever whatever's going on. We're davening, we're checking our phone, or you feel it buzzing. Or And it's not just the phone, by the way. It's not just the phone. It's so many things in our life. Again, when I was a kid, it's funny. I was just telling my children about, about tape recorders and they were like, huh? Like, what is that? You know, like CD players even. They don't know what that is. But right when I was a kid, if when a father came home, he came home. He was home. That was the end of his day. He walked in the door, five, six, seven, whatever time. Let's assume he came at seven o'clock. He was home. If somebody called your house for a business-related call, they were socially off. They were literally calling from an institution. Right, there was something wrong, totally wrong with them. You're calling my house at night? A question about business? Like something wrong with you? It was so socially off; it didn't make sense. Today, people are sitting with their spouse and they're texting or emailing or calling somebody else at twelve o'clock at night. Like you're laying in bed and you're like texting somebody else, like about like something. Don't forget to do this. Or you're texting your lawyer. What is going on over here? You're just totally in two different worlds at the same time. You can't be in two different worlds. The whole concept of this is that you put your mind to it. You like really, really put your mind to it. You know, the concept of a base musser. I, I love reading um, biography books. One of them, of Rabbi Vigna Miller, talks about a base musser. A base musser was a house in the woods. That's it. There was, no, there was nothing else going on. It was the house in the woods. Wasn't filled up with anything. I don't think there were any svarim in there. There's a place to go away from the distraction, which was basically other people be able to just sit alone in your thoughts and contemplate. What can I do better? I mean, most of us would probably go and be like, "Okay, I'm going to sleep," right? Because like I finally have quiet. I'm going to sleep. Meaning we can't we can't even stay alone with our own thoughts. No, that's what goes into my mind. Like, oh, okay, it's quiet, right? <laughs> the point is that you're not sleeping; is that you're awake and you're alive. And you're talking to yourself. You're smoozing something through, right? When do you come up with the biggest thoughts? 
The biggest thoughts are when, you're, when your mind is clear. I find every time I leave my office, that's when all my thoughts come flooding back in. That's when I start sending voice notes. Oh, don't forget about this and this and this. Why couldn't I think about it during the day? Because you're so bombarded with thoughts that you can't even think. Finally, you clear your mind. That's when the thoughts start lining up. They come marching in one by two by two, right? And then you're like, oh, now the thoughts are here. A person is able to clear their mind and to think about whatever it is, either that they're going through or, again, maybe it's words, maybe it's a mitzvah, like to stop and slow down. Just like prepare, like take a few minutes to like prepare for the next thing that you're going to do. Put a little bit of kavana into it. And if something's hard, then for sure, like take a few minutes and come up with like a real game plan. I, I also like to think that it has to be short attainable goals. It can't be some lofty thing you're going to, you know, change your life and, and do everything overnight. There's nothing that in life that works that way. It has to be short attainable goals, something that you put in day after day, week after week, something that has real consistency. But if you take literally anything, it could be Ashayatar, it could be Shahakal, it could be any bracha that you say on a daily basis, it could be any interaction that you have on a daily basis, and just put some thought into it. Just say the words, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so happy to be able to talk to you. When was the last time you said that to, to somebody that you actually care about? Never, right? Like, wow, I'm so excited to see you. We see some, When we see somebody like once in a million years, we go, oh, I'm so excited to see you. I haven't seen you in so long. And then we're like, <laughs> we walk away. Like the idea that you're really happy that like you have parents or that you have siblings and you have people in your life that you're able to, to converse with, that feeling has to be there. It has to be developed. It has to be really, really developed. Simple. It's the difference between saying I have to and I and I want to. Oh, I have to spend time with you now. Imagine going out with a guy. The guy says, "Oh, I, yeah, I really wish I was by the football game now, but we had we had this date scheduled. So, all right, let's do this." You'd be like, "Are you kidding me? You'd be like, Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm not going out with you now. I really wish I was with my friends, but I I'm stuck with you right now." You'd be like, "Are you serious right now? That's what you're saying to me." Right? How often do we go into a mitzvah with that idea? I really wish I could watch a movie now. Unfortunately, I can't. Shabbos. Okay, I got I to gotta sit by the meal. Like, this is the time of the week that's like us and Hashem sitting. We tune out all distractions and we sit down. And our minds is like, oh, I really wanted to watch the end of that movie. Or, I really wish I could watch the, you know, the last episode in the, in, the, in the show that I'm watching. If that's like in your brain, there's no hearts to it. There's no anything to it. Like sit down and sing a song and get your heart into it. Get your life into it. It just makes the whole thing real. We all know we would be so insulted if somebody did that to us. But on a daily basis, we do that in, in so many different ways. We wish we were here and there and we're not like totally really present. And I think the secret to this is really being present, minimizing distractions, really putting your head to, to whatever it is that you're doing. Okay, two people asked the same question. Um, oh wow! <laughs> what if the person you're having issues with is not your husband, but your boss or colleague? My husband feels like he's constantly chasing his boss, and it's getting frustrating and affecting him tremendously. Wondering what you can do or say about it. About chasing the boss in what in what sense? Yeah, pick up the mic. Yeah. Um, also, the other person asked, meaning you have a difficult relationship with somebody and want something else to change. That's yeah. the person you work with. How do you deal with that? If it's your boss or your colleague. So, okay. It's funny. I must be the boss on one end and the employee on the other end that are messaging here. <laughs> I think that the, um, yeah, 
I think it's a little slightly off topic, but I think that, you know, the short answer is, is that, you know, I'll say it, I'll say it in three stages. And I think that the, these three stages play itself out in almost every relationship. The first is an acceptance of where the person is today. Okay. That's a baseline acceptance. Um, in the medical world, it's the same thing. There's a baseline. You set a baseline of this is where the person is today. So your expectation of change is very minimal. And then number two is you put in whatever you think you can put in to try to um, facilitate that change. So if you want your spouse to do something different or you want your boss to do something different, a lot of it has to do with your approach, with something that you're asking being reasonable, with not being emotional, but you're effectively trying to bring about some sort of change. And if you see that change, then that's great. Meaning you have your voice, but you understand that may or may not work. And then number three is either a full acceptance of it and you stay in your position because it's just not working or you leave because it's just not working. I mean, or you could be like, you know, the person who's suing everybody and, and whatever. But assuming you're not crazy, you're just going to either stay and be like, this is it is what it is because the money is good or the environment is good or whatever, or you're going to leave, right? So it's acceptance, trying to bring about change. And then again, either acceptance or leaving. Those would be probably the three, you know, traditional steps. I will say, and I think this is really important, is that no matter what situation you're in, whether it's with a spouse or with, with your parents or with a boss or any situation, your emotions are yours and you have to own up to your emotions. You can never say the words, oh, they got me so angry or, or they sent me over the edge or they're making me do this or that or whatever. That, 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 that means that other people control your life. A person has to like, say it out loud. I control, I allowed myself to get angry. I I lost control. I wasn't able to, to hold back. You have to take responsibility. I think it's literally the difference between between anything in your life is 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 taking achrayas, is taking real responsibility for, for who you are in the relationship. So if your boss did something and you storm out, you're like, oh, he made me, no, he didn't make you anything. You did this. This is a conscious decision. I hear this from people a lot where they say, oh, I'm, I'm married. I never wanted to marry this guy. I'm like, no, you did. They're like, no, no, I didn't. I'm like, well, unless you were drugged and dragged down the aisle, you did because you did it. You, you walked down the aisle and you said, yes, I'm here. No, things were moving so fast and I didn't want to. Okay, but you did. Like, let's at least take 2% two, achrayas. 2%. Like, you did. You did. You may not have known everything. You may not... But if you if you doesn't start with a with the responsibility of that you are here because you made certain choices, usually again, unless you were like kidnapped, but like usually, right? It, it, it's really like you can't get married that way, right? So you have to have some sort of willingness. Then you just have to own up to that to some sort of degree. I'm not blaming a person. You might be in a horrible situation, but you have to own up to it. You, you just have to own up. I took this job. I came to work. I responded like this. Just take responsibility. It doesn't mean 100%. It could be that they put you in a very challenging situation, but the way that you react or the way that you you feel, that is up to you. I think most people think that they don't have the ability to control their thoughts and their emotions, and that's such a shame. So it means other people control that. You get to control. You, you get to control how you think and how you feel. You get to control if you're happy or if you're sad. What does that mean? It means I internalize happy thoughts. The concept of Gula, the concept of Hashem is with me, the concept concept of Nister. I internalize that, and then I'm happy. And I realize the concept of destruction and Kilkol and the Shina going away. That's up to me. I make that decision. 
I'm not depressed today and happy tomorrow because somebody else made me happy and a juggler came in and went like this and I was like, oh, I'm happy. And then somebody made a comment and oh, I'm also sad. That's such a fragile emotional state to be in. It means that you don't have real control over, over anything. So whenever I hear people say that, I, I just say like, oh, stop, stop. Like just first take the achrayas that you are you and you take responsibility for it. I did this a number of years ago. I started with this idea. It was, it was such a game changer for me. My kids were like running around the house. And instead of saying like, oh my gosh, the kids are running. They're stopping. They're making so much noise. It's driving me crazy. I would say, I'm allowing myself like, to be affected. I, I, I'm deciding to sit in this room right now. Or I can try to discipline them. I could try to get structure. So that's up to me to go stand up and, and do it in a normal voice. But the minute I'm totally, it's chaotic because they control the dialogue here. You just handed over the keys to the house to a five-year-old. That's very dangerous. You don't hand over the keys to your, to your heart, to your brain. You don't hand that over to people so quickly. You have to take bias, like take ownership over it. So I would just say whatever the situation is, again, every situation is different and how you approach it is, is unique. So I don't have a specific on this specific case, but I would just say that a person has to take ownership over where they are in this relationship. So many people, they're in that toxic relationship at work and they're there for 35 years. Why didn't you leave? Oh, I, I couldn't leave. You could. Literally now, you could leave. You could text and say, I'm not coming into work tomorrow. This doesn't work for me. You could. You, you have the ability to. You just feel constrained by your feelings and your thoughts and your fears. It's all ego. And th that's usually what stands in front of you and change. And that's very dangerous. That just means that your fears and all of that sort of just handcuff you into your current situation. You know, I think most of us, we go to the place that we are familiar with, even if it's not as comfortable as a place that could be more comfortable, but less familiar. We all do that, right? It could be there's a job out there that's better for you, not for some people, but for some for other people. Maybe there's a job out there that's better for you, right? But but it, it means embarking on a new journey. It, it could be the way that you raise your children could be different if you would take a different approach, right? There's so many elements here that if you did something different, you'd probably have a different outcome, but we consistently do the thing that we know because that's what we know. But unfortunately, for a lot of people, what they know is their emotional state of, a, of their childhood. So they revert to their childhood emotional state for how they react to things. So when somebody gets into a certain confrontation, they either run away or they cry or they yell or they scream because that's the emotional state that they're familiar with. So they go there and then they wonder, like, why am I having the same outcomes that I had when I was, you know, in fifth grade on the playground and everyone was bullying me? Well, because you're behaving the same way as you behaved when you were in fifth grade on the playground being bullied. You didn't you didn't change your your emotional output when you became an adult. You didn't change to learn how to be calm and deal with confrontation and diffuse the situation. These are skills that have to be developed. So if our if our default is just what we're familiar with, then unfortunately for many people it's just going to be very childish. If you mature and you change and you try try new things, and usually you'll see a different outcome. So again, I know I'm going like way off topic here, but I think these are like just there. These are like advanced life skills that unfortunately so many people because we just do whatever we we need to do based on what we did yesterday. So our relationships don't change much. I remember, I remember we had. Um, met somebody once who who got married whatever they they got into their relationship at a very very young age before they were 18 way before they were 18 they were like 13 um and then they finally got married they were like whatever they were very young let's just say it like that okay and when we met them they were considerably older than that and when we left i said to my wife i said it's so sad to see a person 
that is like whatever age they were. Um, let's assume they were like 40 years old. Um, but they, you can see that their emotional development just stopped when they were like 13 years old. They were giggling like a 13 year old. Like everything was, was, was like funny. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't cute anymore. It was like this person, the elevator just stopped like between the first and the second floor just didn't continue rising. They just never entered adulthood because they just never went through the challenges of anything. And it was very sad. It was very sad. It was, it was, it looked it, like for somebody else, it might look cute. Like, oh, it's so cute. They're like a youngish kind of type of person. For me, it was like, it was, it was heartbreaking. And the person just didn't, they didn't mature. They didn't grow. They never changed. So something to to, to think about is the idea that life moves on. And if you consistently do the things that you did before, then it's going to stay on that level. If your Purim is the same Purim this year as it was last year, your Pesach is the same Pesach as it was last year, and your Shavuos, and if everything just becomes like, let me just get through it, and 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 so then, unfortunately, it becomes just a bunch of the same songs, and it becomes very boring and very stale. And like anything else in life, there's a maturing process. And I'll go back to this, this story of Rav Breina. Rav Breina said the same words day after day after day. The key was that this day he did it a little different. This day, he said the words with a little bit more emphasis, a little bit more kavana, a little bit more presentness, a little bit more mindfulness, a little bit more understanding. And that was what ah lit him up with, with Simcha. We all have the ability to connect to this idea, to connect to a million things that we're doing every single day, if only we don't do them the same way as we did it yesterday. If you do it a little bit different, you'll see a different result. If you do it the same thing, yes, you're fine a yid, no problem, we'll still give you an aliyah, maybe, but there's no there's no emphasis, there's no hearts, there's no warmth, there's no shina, there's no shina. It's missing the essence. It's missing the relationship. And if it's missing the relationship, it's very, very empty. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.